On Sunday mornings, we have been in a series called Rhythm. We are nearing the end of that series, but the, the goal has been really to help us understand that our walk with Christ, that our following of Him, that our allegiance to Him and our obedience to Him and His Word is not designed to be just a portion of your life. It's designed to be in every rhythm, every part, every cell of your spiritual body, every cell of your life is to reflect Christ. And we've talked about different things, what that means, what that looks like, and the practical application of it. Trusting God, having mercy, taking the lower position, encouraging others. And today, we're talking about leadership. Now, the challenge with talking about leadership is that instantly in an audience, people already begin to tune out because, well, I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader. I can't be a leader. I'm not a leader. I mean, that's just not me. That's not my personality. I mean, just not, I'm not the person who wants to be up front and making decisions, being in charge. Uh, there was a famous line from a comedian by the name of Jerry Seinfeld years ago. He said, I don't want to be in charge because when something goes wrong, what happens? The first thing people ask is, who's in charge here? Nobody wants to be that. Leaders take the slings and the arrows. People uh, in leadership make hard decisions that are not always agreed with, and they are certainly easy to be criticized. But we're not talking about leadership in the worldly sense this morning. I'm not talking about the person at the top of the org chart. I'm not talking about the person with the corner office. That's not what I mean by leadership. You ever have a boss who is technically in charge, but who wasn't a leader? We probably all have at some point. It's, uh, we understand that, that as far as the workplace goes or, or, or the organization, they're technically at the top, but no one respects their influence. No one respects their word. And then, then we know other people who, who say very little, who have very little. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not right out in front of everybody, but everyone, everyone respects their word and their opinion respects what they, what they say, and listens to them when they speak. In the Northside community, for, for many years before he went on to his reward, that was Lewis Tandy. And Lewis, Lewis was a very unassuming man, but when he spoke, people listened and changed their hearts and their lives. See, leadership, when we talk about leadership, we're talking about influence, the ability to make an impact in the world around us. Now, Jesus, of course, you expect the preacher to say, Jesus was a highly influential person. One of my favorite poems is a, one written by a, a name, name, man named James Allen Francis. It's called One Solitary Life, and it speaks to the influence and the impact of Jesus. It reads, he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then, for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He didn't live in a big city. He never traveled over 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things which, with which we accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away, and one of them denied him, one of his closest. He was turned over to his enemies, and he went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, 
his executioners gambled for his garments. One of the few pieces of property he had on earth. After he died, his body was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together have not affected life on earth as much as this one solitary life. That's the influence of Jesus. Now, that's not a Bible verse, I understand, but do you know the Bible actually has a great deal to say about the influence and the impact of Jesus? Several hundred years, actually, before he even stepped into this earth, the scriptures speak of his influence and his impact. If you want, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, page 788, if you're caring to follow along in the Pew Bible. Page 788 will take us to Isaiah 53, where the prophet, centuries before Jesus came, spoke about Jesus. And here's what he said. He said, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Huh. It sound like much of an impactful life. The prophet seems to say, we'll barely even recognize him. Be like root out of a dry ground. There's nothing about him that we'll look at him and go, oh, there's a man of prestige. There's a man of honor. Now, see, that's because we think about leadership in the wrong way. We think about influence in the wrong way. Surely, this, the prophet continues, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. And afflicted. But... He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We all have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The prophet speaks of Jesus' influence. Jesus was no doubt a man of influence. When people spoke about him, when they heard him teach, they said, we've never heard someone teach like this. He speaks as one who has authority. When those who knew him saw him doing these works and these miracles, they isn't this the carpenter's son? We've known Jesus forever. We've, we've known him since he was little Manny, running around the carpenter's shop. But they saw his life was different. You see, Jesus was a man of impact and influence. From the Old Testament to the New, we see lives changed by his life. Here's the interesting thing. Jesus calls his disciples to be people of impact and influence. To be people who, in the same way as he, make a difference wherever they go. An irrefutable, unignorable difference in the worlds in which they live. Jesus preached a sermon. The best sermon ever preached. 
Matthew chapter 5 records it. Uh, page 10, uh, 1039 will take us to the section of that sermon where Jesus spoke about his expectation of you and I. This is important because, well, we'll get to it. Matthew chapter 5, 13 and following, the scriptures that were already read. And I'll, I'll ask you just to read the, the verses on the screen. If you'll read the words in yellow, let's start together. Matthew five thirteen through 16, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And we're going to talk about leadership and influence and impact. But I want you to understand that the reason we do that is not for our glory, but for our Father's glory. And the, re- the way in which we do that is looking, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, to look to the example of Christ. And so we look at Christ's example. And the first thing that we see in this section of Jesus' sermon where he's talking about leadership and influence is that leadership means accepting the responsibility. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You see, Jesus knew that he could do that, but he knew for the church to make the impact that God designed it to have, we, you and I, have to accept the responsibility of being people of influence. That's important. A leader accepts the responsibility Now, it it is easy to, and there's a critical difference between someone who accepts the responsibility and someone who passes the blame or passes the buck. Let me give you an example of that. A couple of weeks ago, I did a lesson about serving and just how, and sometimes in an organizational sense, we go, well, I need to go, I need to find the the part of the survey, I need to go sign up for that, I need to find the official leader, and sometimes that's okay, nothing wrong with that, but sometimes it's just seeing a need and doing something about it. So Austin Miller came up to me after that sermon, you don't have to stand, you can, you can if you want to, that's great. No, he says no. Um, he came up to me and he said, Mr. Toby, I noticed that these pencils are, are dull, and they need sharpening. And I wanted to go around and sharpen all of the pencils. Austin, stand up for just a second, because I know you offered to, and then I, but, but turn around for just a minute. Austin, what grade are you in? Seventh grade. A seventh grader looked at a pencil and saw a need. And he didn't say, well, you know, somebody ought to really sharpen these pencils. They're terrible. He said, what can I do to make it better? Now, a seventh grader can do that with a pencil. And every time you use that pencil now, you're thinking of Austin and his leadership. 
He didn't wait for someone to ask him. He didn't, he didn't wait for somebody to say, well, you know, we'd like to uh, assign you, and, and you'll head this committee of the pencil sharpeners, and uh, you'll meet once a month and fill out a quarterly report. And, you know, that, <laughs> don't misunderstand me. We do those things in organizations, but Jesus called us to be leaders by simply acknowledging that we accept the responsibility. You can have a seat. Thank you, Austin, for your leadership. That's influence. And you may think you're just a seventh grader, but that will change a youth group. A person like that who sees what needs to be done and does it, that's leadership. That's how God's people are to be. Well done. You see, there are a lot of pencils in the world. There are a lot of pencils even in the church. And it's easy to bemoan and complain and criticize about all the reasons why this pencil is dull. But leaders say, Maybe I'll just go sharpen the pencil. Think about that. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. If you are going to make an impact, then sometimes it means just accepting the responsibility. We live in a world that doesn't accept responsibility very well. Now, we can think of this in the negative. Sometimes we see or read or hear about these terrible, tragic shootings, school shootings, okay, as an example. And, and we kind of go through the same cycle. This terrible tragedy happens, and the media spends weeks upon weeks upon weeks assigning blame. Whose fault was it that this happened? Was this the parents? Was this the teachers? Was this the video games? What, what was it that caused this to happen? And, and I'm not saying that's, you know, it's a good time for self-assessment. I think there's a spiritual problem at the heart of all that. But, but jump to just this point on accepting responsibility. At the end of the day, it was the person who pulled the trigger. It was his fault or her fault. The blame goes upon them. Do you understand what I mean? We live in a world that wants to assign blame for other people's actions Accepting responsibility means accepting responsibility for our actions. That's important. And it works in the positive way where Austin sees a pencil that needs to be sharpened and he goes and sharpens it. It works in the negative when we see all throughout the world, everybody wants to blame everybody else and everybody is a professional victim of all the reasons why I've not been successful, all the reasons why bad things happen to me, all the reasons why I am the way that I am. It's everybody else's fault and that is not leadership. That is victim thinking. And Jesus' followers are not supposed to be victims. We're supposed to be victors. We make an impact wherever we go and whatever we do. Now, the second part of thinking about this in terms of the problem is asking ourselves, which one am I? Am I a thermometer or a thermostat? And you, I'm sure, have heard this illustration before. Yesterday, there was a a funeral service, as you know. And I was up here kind of helping get some things ready. And one of the things that is needed to do, because the building's not normally occupied on Saturday, is to adjust the thermostat. Now, there's, there's right in the back closet, there's these four modules. And if you press the button, whatever that little tiny box reads is what this room eventually will become. If it says... 68 degrees, it'll become 68 degrees. If it says 72 degrees, it'll become 72 degrees. 
Most people in the world are simply thermometers. They simply tell you it's hot in here. It's cold in here. Christ followers are to be people who change the temperature of the room. That's the conversation at the water cooler. That's the conversation on social media. It's, it's, it's the culture of our workplace. If any area where a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus is, they should be raising the culture. They should be raising the watermark. They should be raising the level of the room. Think about it like this. Everywhere you are this week, what if God intends for you to be there? What if God intends for you to be there when someone's life falls apart? He intends you to be a thermostat. He doesn't intend you to fall apart with them. He intends you to give them hope, to pray with them, to encourage them. I I was going to the hospital, uh, visiting one of our members about to have surgery. Uh, I I was asking the helper there, I said... um, I'm a minister with a church here in town, and I was wondering, I'm looking for this person, can you tell me where they are? And the lady said, well, which church are you with? I said, Northside Church of Christ. She said, oh, Justin's church. (laughs) Now, I was talking about, she was talking about Justin Abraham. She didn't care who I was. She just said, oh. Why, why did she say that? Because as many of you know, and if you don't know, Justin, you know, he's up at the hospital praying with people of our fellowship often. He's usually the first person there. But, but more than that, he prays with people who he doesn't know. Strangers, people in the hallway, people in other... Uh, even the, the CNAs and the nurses and the doctors, see, he's being a person of influence. He's bringing hope and life and light to that situation. So what about you? What about your world? What about when someone's life is falling apart? What about when that kid next to you slams the locker door extra hard? Or has no one sitting by them at the lunch table? Who are you in that moment? Are you a person of, of just reflecting the world that, you in, that you're in? Are you a person that changes the world in which they live? Jesus called us not to mimic the world, but to make a difference in the world. And that's important to, to do that. And if we're going to do that, we have to accept the responsibility. You are the light of the world, and you are the salt of the earth. So may you accept it. Now, leadership, secondly, means it requires for us to think differently. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. Now, you've heard lessons about salt and what it does and it preserves and it flavors and all that. Those things are true. I just want to focus on one tiny little historical tidbit. There was a practice in the ancient world of salting the earth. When a, when a king conquered a new city or place, the first thing that that king would do would have his servants go out and salt the area around so that nothing would grow there, so that folks would realize coming in that city or leaving that city that a new king had arrived and conquered and had changed things. It was a physical symbol of a, of a reality 
that a new king was there. A new king had conquered. When, when Jesus conquers our hearts and our minds, things begin to change. Things are no longer as they were. Salt is used for flavoring and preserving. It is good for many different purposes, but salt is useless unless it is applied. Salt means nothing. It, some of you going to guest lunch will have sit down at a table and there will be these salt shakers. And it, it occurs to me that this salt doesn't do any good right here. The whole purpose of the salt shaker is to have some means of distributing the salt evenly. It makes a difference. It flavors the food. It adds something to the food. But, but it has to get out of the shaker. Now, if we would call this this morning our salt shaker, we're reminded of who we are and what we're to do and how we're to flavor and change the world in which we live. But it does no good if we just stay in the shaker. In a few minutes, we're going to leave. And, and all throughout your workplace and your schools and your families and your friends and with your neighbors, you are to be the salt. You are to be the flavor that makes a bland world notice that it needs more salt. May you not forget that being salt doesn't mean being in the shaker. It's useless unless it leaves the shaker. So what are you doing with your salt? How are you changing the world in which you live? Luke, in Luke chapter 14, we're, by the way, studying Luke on Sunday nights, and you're more than welcome to join us at 6 o'clock as we go through and study Luke's account of Jesus' life. And in Luke chapter 14, this is on page 1,122, Jesus says this, Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, salt, salt does flavor and salt does preserve, but salt has this unusual and uncanny ability to make People thirst for more. Does your life, do your words, do your actions make anyone else in your world thirsty for more of that? Colossians chapter 4 verse 6, the verse that's on the screen. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to everyone. You're going to have many conversations this week, and you're going to have an opportunity to salt in the world that you live in. And, and I want to encourage you that the Scripture, Jesus calls us to be salt, not salt-y. Some Christians think that just Following Jesus means I am all salt all the time. I'm all salty all the time. Back to the illustration. 
Let's say that you go to guest lunch and you, you have yourself a plate of some good food. And, and you pick up the salt shaker and the lid comes off. And as you pour it, it just completely covers the food. It's ruined. No salt. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll clean that up. No salt is bad. Too much salt poured all at the one time is also not good. That's why it's poured out a little at a time. So may we be salt in every opportunity, every conversation. Don't think that a single conversation needs to get an atheist who doesn't believe in God all the way to the waters of baptism all at once. Well-meaning Christians have poured and poured salt into people's lives to the point of people are sick of Christians. They don't want anything to do with, because I just get too much salt, it's gross and it's disgusting, and I don't want any part of it. But if you just put a little bit of salt here, you just put a little bit of salt there, you make them thirst for more. So may we not have too little, may we not have too much, but may we pour enough into the world in which we live to make people want more of Jesus. Finally, leadership means living in an influential way. We are called to be children of the light. John chapter 1 verse 5, as John introduces Jesus, he says, In him was life. And the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, you and I, as salt and light, need to understand something. That when we are doing what Jesus called us to do, regardless of if it's 700 or 7 or only 1, we have the ability to make an impact. Look what Jesus said about it. The darkness shall not overcome it. Do me a favor. Pull out your phones. Several of you are there already. I appreciate that. Go ahead. Take out your phone. Now, what I want you to do is to turn on your light. Mine's on there. The longer it takes you to turn them on, the longer the sermon goes. And that's how that's where it is. Now, you have your light on? There's lesson one right there. Let your light shine. There's still some lights not shining. I understand. Some of you are just stubborn. That's okay. Put your light on. Now, that's interesting. Because I can see the light more than you can see the light. You know why you really can't see the light? It's not too helpful right here because the light's already on. I mean, there's a little bit of growth in illumination. But but that's not where the light matters. The light doesn't matter when the light's already on. You don't care about that light flashlight in your bedstand uh, drawer until the power goes out. Right? You're not concerned about where the candles are until the storm comes through. Now, here in a few minutes, most of the folks in here are going to leave. And we're going to go into a dark world. Will you bring the lights down just a little bit? 
All the way. Because it's a dark world. If you can, turn off the up here too. You see, the light makes the most impact in the darkness. Light is most needed in the darkness. Now, it's cool to have all of these lights, and I want you to see yourself as a light this week and all the weeks. I want you to understand that you make an impact in someone's life, but only if your light is on. May we not forget that the purpose of light is not to lighten up an already bright room, but the purpose of light is to bring light to dark places. Several hundred folks have light, but Jesus said the the light is more powerful than the darkness. I want everyone to turn off their light at this point. Austin, come here. Hold that for me. Whether it's 700 or whether it's one, Light is always more powerful than darkness. One single light at a school, around a table, in a home, at the workplace, in a family. One single light in a place of darkness still overpowers the darkness. May we not forget, maybe you think, well, I'm the only Christian in my school. You don't know my workplace, preacher. You've got a pretty cozy little lifestyle, church world. You have no idea what people say, how people talk, how people joke. You don't know what I have to deal with. Sounds like victim thinking. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. We can bring the lights up, since we're talking about light. We are called to be children of the light. And that, I mean, shining your light here, being, is good, but, but it already lights up a lit room. May we light up the world where we live. The world is a dark place. But that's why Jesus called us to be the light. We let his light shine in our lives. Your story gets to be used for His glory, wherever you are, wherever you go. Paul writes the church at Ephesus, he says, You, at one time, were darkness. This is Ephesians 5.8. But now, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Is your light on or not? Several years ago, I was shopping for some things, and I went to Super Target. And as I went to Super Target, as is the case with most large retail stores, I went to go check out with my items, and there were 15 registers there, but there were two cashiers. So I was waiting in line. 
And out of the corner of my eye, I, f- I see a woman up uh, at the registers waving frantically. Sir, sir, come over here. I can help you. So <laughs> I immediately took my things and I went straight to her line. And I set my things down. I said, oh, I'm so glad your line is open. She said, yeah, it's the strangest thing. I, I've been standing here, but no one's come over my way. I said to her, well, ma'am, your, your little light's not on. Now, may we learn the lesson from the cashier. There, there are some of us in here who enjoy the blessings at the Lord's table. His love, His mercy, His forgiveness, His grace, His hope. And we can't imagine why there are so many lost people in a dark world who wouldn't want what we have. And maybe Jesus is saying, hey, 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 your, your light's not on. How do they know unless your light is shining? May we turn on our lights in our lives. Jesus would finish by saying, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand that it may give light to everyone in the house. The cool thing in the book of Revelation, Jesus refers to church as a lampstand. I love that. We're not meant to hide our light. We're meant to share it and to shine it. Here's an idea for you. If you want an idea, you know, preachers talk about these things. But how do we do that, preacher? Okay, here's an idea. This morning when you leave, you're going to get a handout of the shopping list for Carpenter Place. And you can go, and you can go to Walmart or Target, wherever you go, and go shopping and bring it back, and that's fine. That's doing a good thing. But what if, what if you turned your light on? What if, what if instead you went around your neighborhood and you knocked on the door of your neighbor's? And he said, hey, our family, the church we attend is we're, we're collecting food for children's home. And, and we're collecting some, and we just wondered if you would have any of these items around your house that you might be willing to share. Huh, wouldn't that lead maybe to an, a conversation? You say, oh, preacher, I don't know. That's really awkward. I don't want to. Hey. That's turning on your light. That's not about you. What if God has you living in the house you're in because he has two neighbors on either side of you that need to know Christ? They never know about it. They're standing in line in the darkness because you don't turn on your light. May we, may we take seriously the call to let our light shine. It doesn't have to be that way, but find a way to let your light shine and let people look not at us, but at him. and Let them praise our Father who's in heaven. May his light shine brightly in the world. So final question, do you have his light? Do you have his light? It's easy for me to talk about the light, but I guess that all presupposes that you have the light. In him was life, and that life was the light of all men. If you don't have the light of Christ, start this morning by accepting the responsibility. You need the light. The darkness will not overpower the light. And in the eternal sense, if you don't have the light, you're in serious trouble.
And so begin this morning by letting Jesus conquer your life to salt your heart so that nothing else grows there, but only he and he alone, and let him shine in your life. Confess his name before others, turn away from a life of sin, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. May his light shine in our lives. And if you don't have the light this morning, I would invite you, I'll I'll extend an invitation. It's not my invitation, it's the Lord's invitation to respond and to let the light of Christ into your heart and respond in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. No better time to do that. Maybe you haven't been maybe you haven't been letting your light shine. Maybe instead you've been living in the shadows. Holding on to the light for yourself, hiding it under a bushel. No. That's not what God intended. And if you need to repent of that, if you need us to pray with you and for you, we're glad to do that as well. If you need to respond to the invitation to receive, to to take the light of Jesus, to take hold of that, we can help you with that. Or if you need to turn back to the light, we'd be glad to help you with that too. Whatever your need might be, please respond this morning by coming down front and our shepherds will meet you there as together we stand and sing.